Hey, Tim. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> it's going well. If I was any better, I'd be a li retired liberal cabinet minister. <laughs> Whoa. Hey. Stealing my uh, line. I love it. I love it. Oh, I'm uh, glad you're doing that great because those yeah. guys are doing awesome. <laughs> um, so we wanted to talk about climate action and climate change and all that fun stuff because you know you hear now it's it's the end of the world we have to we have to do something now government has to do something now um, so I'll say like I think climate change is a fact right and, and I think anyone who uh, believes otherwise is the same as someone who says the earth is flat um, right um, like it's pretty obvious to me that there is climate change. It's happened. It's accelerated by humans to some degree, and and we should do something to curb it. Probably, I'm not an alarmist. I think at any point, human. I think there's nothing stronger than human in in ingenuity and inventiveness and innovation. And we will solve the problem when it really push comes to shove. It. Um, but regardless, it's not government's role to do that. And and uh, right. something like a carbon tax or something like that actually doesn't push those changes it, it's dealing with you know underlying things and not it we need like an overhaul of the system which will come through private um like innovation and that kind of stuff yeah yeah i mean you're right i mean there, there are a number of things um about climate change right that that are that that i'm skeptical about um you know, I, I agree with you. I think it's happening. I remember learning as a kid, I was just fascinated with space, right? So I read everything about space. And in my readings, I learned about the green, greenhouse gas effect and the reason why Venus, for example, is uh, 400 Celsius and Mercury, which is even closer to the sun, isn't as hot as Venus is. And that's because of all the CO2 and the atmosphere trapping uh, the heat, right? And, and that's the greenhouse effect. And, and so, mm. well, you know, we know that greenhouses pump CO2 into their, well, and mind you, that's not to heat up their greenhouse, that's to actually feed the plants. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, that it, it, it seems reasonable to me, just based on principle and based on the laws of physics, that if you pump more CO2 in the atmosphere, that it'll have some effect on yeah. on the planet right and that effect is probably warming and it seems like the evidence uh supports that um the next step that i i'm but the thing that i'm my skepticism starts to grow when we start making alarmist claims saying that this is going to be catastrophic and that we only have a few years left on this planet before irreversible blah 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 and that it's going to be you know the end of humanity if we don't put a lid on this um that I think the evidence is scant for. It will certainly have harmful effects in some areas. You know, rising sea levels will will um, damage property in some areas. Um, and but then on the flip side, that green belt starts going north, right? And we have more greening of the planet. Uh, we might have more actually more arable land. You know, the, the the effects of climate change, from what I understand, are smaller. Uh, towards the equator and bigger towards the poles. And so you see more warming, for example, in Arctic regions yeah. um, where, you know what, maybe we open up more arable land for people. Maybe there's more greening and it changes the landscape, but is that necessarily a catastrophe? No, we could look at that as a positive effect. But of course, all the studies, you know, if you're gonna get government funding or any kind of funding, um, 
it, you know, one of the things you learn, you know, when I did my graduate degree, the, the questions you ask largely determine the results you get, right? And yeah. so if you ask the question, uh, what are the negative effects of climate change, your research is going to be focused on finding all the problems, right? And mm -hmm. it, whereas if the question were something like, what are the positive effects of climate change, um, while well, you would come up with a totally different set of data, uh, and you'd be looking at different things. And so the question then is, well, how do you, how would you even know if climate change were catastrophic or not? Like looking, how would you balance all the positives and all the negatives and determine whether this was a catastrophe or a boon for humanity? And that, that question I never hear talked about and discussed. And, you know, I think there's, there might be one scientist, uh, Craig Idso is his name, who looks at the positive effects of warming and, uh, does all these studies with the greening effects of CO2 and different things like that. But for the most part, I think anyone that's that wants to get a hold of government funding is going to have to uh, feed into the government narrative of catastrophe if they really want to get those funds. And so I think that's why you see most research focused on an answering that question. One and then, thing that, you know, I yeah. think about, or there's a, one thing I just thought of in this conversation, and but one thing that I've heard about is that like right now it's not really, climate change isn't really affecting many of the rich countries, but it's already affecting a lot of the poor countries or some of the poor countries and it's displacing people. And, you know, I'm confident that when it starts impacting the rich Western countries to a really detrimental effect, innovators will fix this problem because they'll be able to profit from it, right? But there's right. no profit for the, you know, the huddled masses of the poor countries um, that are having to move and things like that. But on the flip side, the planet has gone through massive changes before in terms of sure. land mass, in terms of oceans and things like that. The idea that our current living situation globally was never going to change is also kind of silly, right? right. The, the world has changed many times before. It's just not been full of humans to this degree that have had to adapt. And so it's like, it, like I, I think it's a bit alarmist to say, oh my God, these people are suffering, they have to move. Yes, it's unfortunate, right. um, but it was going to happen at some point regardless, like the planet changes. Yeah, and, and nobody ever talks about, uh, you know, when it comes to the human environment, right? Uh, no one ever talks about the fact that 4 million people a year in these developing nations or third world nations uh, die from indoor cook indoor cooking smoke right um it's a world health organization stat you can you can google it four million people a year die uh, because of that now would these people benefit from liberalizing energy liberalizing fossil fuels would would coal be better for them than the wood that they're burning in their to, to cook over their fire um, now that that is not <laughs> a narrative that i hear anyone on the left so i, I just don't yeah. buy that that they care about these people at all, right? They, otherwise, why are they focused on these um, political narratives rather than um, rather than breaking down barriers that could actually help these people? And and you know, capitalism has elevated uh, billions over the last decade or two out of poverty. Uh, so why wouldn't we want more of that? Well, the reason we wouldn't mm -hmm. want more of that is because it's going to kill a bunch of people. It's going to be catastrophic. What? Pardon me. Well, yeah, you know, th this is an attack on on capitalism. So, um, so, so that's my my next point, and 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 the part that I'm really skeptical about 
is this claim, is this idea that climate action then is necessary to stave off catastrophe or, or that climate action can stave off catastrophe um, and climate action being government guns, right? Pointing guns at people to stave it off. And, and it's, it's just a given in the political narrative. I, th I think, let me just read what, um, what, uh, uh, what Barack Obama tweeted out once. He said, 97% of scientists agree climate change is real, man-made and dangerous. OK, that dangerous was not part of the 97 percent consensus. The 97 percent consensus stat has been challenged by a bunch of people as well. Alex Epstein, um, uh, David Friedman, Milton's son, uh, ha has looked at the stats and, you know, it, it's pretty misleading. Um, what you would expect is that 97 percent of scientists would sign on to the statement that uh, that climate, man-made climate change affects, or that man has an over 50% impact on um, climate change. And that's certainly not what you get when you read, read through the actual uh, study at all. Um, so, so, so baked into the every statement about climate change is that it just goes without saying that climate action, aka carbon taxes, cap and trade, whatever you want to talk about, it, government intervention, is going to stop it, is going to address it in any way. But that is a huge assumption. It could be that what we need is less government action. It could be that what we need is the liberalization of fossil fuels, right? Getting rid of any barriers to, to extracting and producing fossil fuels because um, that is going to get us to the next energy paradigm. So in Fort McMurray, where, where I was for a number of years, it's the oil sands region, um, very ge geopolitical hotspot. And what's happening up there is that there's all sorts of wealth being developed, even though that's heavily taxed and all this, it's the most charitable uh, place per capita in Canada. Um, you, you see all these env this environmental consciousness being raised there, uh, all sorts of innovation coming out of there. The, the, there's one guy that's working on these sea cans um, that are insulated, that are greenhouses that extract methane from the landfill to heat and, and power these things. And they can grow fresh produce in minus 40 weather, right? And the idea is that this, these kind of, this kind of technology will help people in northern climates get fresh produce you know in canada's north it's very expensive in the winter time for some of these northern communities to get get fresh pro produce this will allow them to grow themselves uh all, there, there's all this innovation coming out mm -hmm. of of that area right and and so and and you know even neil young you know i did some film work with him when he came to fort mcmurray to slag our community and he he exemplifies this right so he spent a million dollars and burned a lot of fossil fuels and, and blew off a lot of carbon dioxide developing this um, badass Lincoln Continental that was a, an energy efficient hybrid vehicle right so and and that that's essentially what people in the in the, the energy industry are doing in the fossil fuel industry are doing they're looking for more efficient ways they're constantly innovating constantly finding ways and government regulation 
gets in the way of that. I mean, they have to pay all this taxes and royalty that could otherwise be going into innovation to government. And what's government doing with that money? It's sending it to uh, green projects that aren't that that don't work, right? The energy yeah. that doesn't work. And you look at places like Germany that's moved to green, largely green energy, and they haven't appreciably diminished their fossil fuel consumption, but they've ramped up the power bill for millions of people uh, because it turns out the sun doesn't shine all the time and you have to fire up these coal-fired plants when the sun isn't shining to supplement it. So, so you're not getting rid of uh, these fossil fuels, but you're adding more expense to people. And so it, it makes it very difficult. Um, you know, and, and again, I alluded to this idea of, of people dying from cooking smoke. And the way we tend to think about the environment, uh, there, there's generally two ways to think about it. One is you start from the principle that what we do, we need to do is minimize the human impact on nature. That's one principle that environmentalists seem to go. But I, I like to think of it in a different term. I like to think about it. Um, how, how can human life, uh, how can human flourishing occur uh, with the environment, right? How does the environment support human flourishing? And that's yeah. a very different way. And so for humans to flourish, in fact, for all biological creatures to flourish, we need to transform the environment around us. We yeah. need to take in things that are external to us. We need to build shelter. Um, we need to interact with nature. We need to transform it in order to survive. And that's true of all biological creatures, but certainly of man who, you know, from the equator to the North Pole, you know, we can live in almost any kind of climate uh, because we're able to transform it. So how, how can we protect ourselves from an adverse climate is a more important question. How can we flourish despite an adverse climate? And, you know, energy allows us to do that, right? I mean, the reason we have cheap produce in, in the north or relatively cheap is because we have fossil fuel <laughs> fuels trucking everything. And so you know, a tax on these things, raising the cost of these things, imposing regulation, and it, it, it decreases our ability to deal with an adverse climate. Climate-related fatalities have dropped uh, something like 95 percent since the since the advent of fossil fuels, and that's because people are better able to protect themselves from adverse climate. And 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 so this idea that we need to tax that, we need to put up barriers to that, we need to stop that, um, is anti-human. It's saying that, that the, the, the environment, that, that our first principle is minimizing human impact on the environment. Well, I'm sorry, but you have to choose one or the other. Like humans are going to have an impact on the environment just to live, right? Would you rather have um, a, a big clump of trees or would you rather have New York City? Um, Right. And, I, and, I'd rather have a big clump of trees. Personally, <laughs> rather, but well, yeah, but but I mean, at some point, the people have to have to live. Right. And, yeah. you know, cities are a fairly efficient way for people to live. And, and actually, they minimize uh, they do minimize impact on the environment, because otherwise those people would have to spread out across the land in, in tiny, yeah. you know, in acreages or something like that. And nature would be radically I, transformed. But I think what it comes down to, I agree that there are many environmentalists who have that principle, we just need to minimize the impact. But I right. think more so people think it is about human flourishing, but humanity right now seems to have a very short term view of everything. So it's, right. it's the idea of how do we flourish right now and not for 100 years, for 200 years. And so people feel like the balance is off and that we're just going to 
eat up the earth and, and use all of our resources now, right? Which I, I don't agree with. And, and you know, there was, I, I forget the name of the gentleman, but there was a libertarian speaker. I watched a video where he says, like, we don't just, we don't, like, find these resources. We create these resources. This was just yes. oil in the ground until we figured out how to make something with it, how to use yep. it for a purpose. So it's not like we to say we're going to run out of it, it's like, well, we'll find other resources, right? Like we, right. and that kind of thing that, that we're not just going to one day run out um, and, and be stuck. I, but one thing that, I forget what my other point was. Yeah, well, and, and you know, just more to that point, mm -hmm. it's like when we got onto fossil fuels, you know, we, we, there are way more trees in North America now than I think there ever have been. Right. And, and that's because people aren't cutting down trees anymore for energy. Right. I, I mean, can you think of a more a less efficient way? So, you know, the choice isn't you know, dilithium crystals or unicorn farts um, and, or fossil fuels. It's fossil fuels or wood. Right. So if you if you restrict fossil fuels, people are going to start moving to wood uh, for energy. I mean, the, like, why would someone in Canada start cutting down trees to heat their house? When, once the oil cost cost of oil gets too high or something like that yeah you know, i guess they're just assuming that they'll they'll use government force to make everyone use like have every house needs to have solar panels on it and a wind turbine right. next to it and and a water turbine in the river nearby and 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 that kind of stuff but i also think that those innovations are pushed by fossil fuels and and by these industries generally right i i, I do believe that innovation wins out long term and i and then I'm, I'm not some alarmist one thing right. that i actually have a friend who's like a very much climate activist he's been to like like globe all of the global summits since i don't know helsinki 10 years ago or something like that and he actually said if if all government subsidies were to end green energy would actually do better because hmm. <laughs> the because um because the government subsidizes fossil fuels and they subsidize the existing industries so much as well and they have at the time in the past right like right. people who are saying oh we need to subsidize green energy and all this other stuff well it's like if you look at the entire infrastructure if we just let the free market play out and you as your individual care about green energy you can send your money to that and i can send my money where i want and it will just play right. out and if people overall care about green energy it would actually potentially go faster Listeners to this podcast get a one-week free trial to the Warrior Path. So sign up now. The details are below. I was coming off a stint in management uh, when I signed up for the Warrior Path, and I was pretty soft. I'm not going to lie to you, David. <laughs> I was uh, out of shape. I was huffing, and I had to come back to the floor, kick in doors, hump hose, fight fire, and I needed to get into shape. And Chad Kirkham at the Warrior Path definitely got me into shape. Uh, you know, I've, I've never felt better, to be honest. And he had an app that tracked the progress. I sent videos to him. Uh, it, was, it was a really slick application, actually. I, I would send videos. He'd correct my form, send me little tips and, and videos. And, uh, and whenever, whenever I needed, he was available. And I'll tell you, I, I put on, I think, about 50% on all my personal records in about a two-month period. Uh, working with the warrior path that that may be true I, i'm a little bit careful when i hear claims like that because um 
for like subsidies, what, what environmental activists mean by subsidies to oil and gas. If you look at, I think there's a report, I can't remember, it showed something like three or four billion dollars of worth of subsidies to oil and gas. And if you actually look at the numbers, it's not wealth redistribution they're talking about. It's, it's uh, tax cuts, right? It's tax mm. breaks. So most of those subsidies are, are not actually redistributing wealth from the taxpayer to the oil company. It's just uh, they're not getting taxed at the rate that other businesses are going to. And, and that that's probably unfair. And, and you know, everyone should be, if, if there's a principle called, you know, this is a fair tax or whatever, then maybe everyone ought to be paying the same thing so that you're not mm. favoring one industry over another. And, and there's there's certainly market distortions that happen when you favor yeah. one industry by giving them breaks that you don't give other industries. Um, uh, but, you know, I, I would prefer every industry to get the same break that the oil and gas industry gets, gets for sure. Yeah. Uh, but that, yeah, that's an interesting point. A lot of innovation right. does happen. Um, yeah. But even still, like, even if it is just tax breaks, then green energy companies aren't getting those or need to fight for them. Or, right. and like the government, it's still the state that needs to grant green energy entry into the elite club with the other energy producers or whatever. So it's still, whatever way it's shaped, it's still the state holding this power of right. you can now innovate type thing, right? Absolutely. Um, and so it's still uh, the idea that, again, I think something should be done. Like I, I do believe stuff should be done sh sooner than later, that it is a more pressing problem. But I don't think the government's the way to do that. And the idea that the more power they have, the quicker we'll solve this problem is backward. Yeah, and you know, I'll t I can speak about the oil sands industry. There, there is an oligopoly that happens, right? And and it, it happens in the form of uh, eroding property rights or undermining property rights to get at that that oil and gas. So in Canada, all the minerals and oil under our feet is de facto owned by the crown. They have a they have an a priori claim on all that, and they say we own that, right? And so if you look at the treaties with our our indigenous people. Uh, they they get some surface rights, but those minerals under their feet, uh, that belongs to the crown. And so what you see is an encroachment on uh, on indigenous territory to get at this stuff. And they do kind of, um, you know, kangaroo court style public engagement sessions where they give these people a voice, but really they don't. They, they don't have property rights. And mm. so I've often wondered, well, how would I develop this resource under my feet if I had full property rights here? And what I would pro I'd probably, the oil sands and that resource would probably be developed in a much different way, probably in a more uh, environmentally friendly way. Uh, you know, I, I might only let them mine a certain block at a time. I would look at them minimizing impact. I'd want them to have billions of dollars in escrow that they can't touch so that if they make any mistakes or, or leave a mess or go bankrupt, I can use that money then to repair the land and bring it back to a state of pristine nature. And then I want them to, you know, have a, a proper plan to go. Or I might decide, listen, you know what? Our traditional way of life is more important than living like Saudi kings. Um, you know, I, I would rather just keep the land for my kids, right? So, so that resource would be done in a much different way. And then also you see downstream, you know, Communities like Fort Chippewan um, worry about cancer rates because of toxins that float down the river towards them or something like that. Well, if they actually had property rights in that in that waterway that they use, uh, that they've homesteaded, I believe, by their use of it, 
well, then um, th they would have immediate access to justice. They wouldn't have to, to, to get on their knees to the government and fly environmentalists up there and make all this noise to get some attention. They could just take that government, take Suncor to court and say, look, here's the evidence. You're polluting us. It's, it's, this is our, a property rights infringement. You need to pay us damages and you need to stop trespassing and polluting our, our property. And then you would get immediate access to justice. You wouldn't have to wait for this kind of political mm -hmm. process. And that's kind of the libertarian approach to all things environmental, right? So, so certainly climate change, global warming um, will have some effect and it will, it will infringe the property rights of some people, right? It'll benefit other people. And so <clears throat> you could imagine uh, a sort of tort system where, uh, you know, people who have lost their land due to flooding because the ocean has, has risen, um, can, can take, you know, I think there's something like there's about a hundred companies that produce most of the fossil fuels, right? About a hundred oil and yeah, gas companies. Yeah, the top hundred companies in the world create most of the greenhouse right. gas or a right. majority. Yeah. And so, so one could imagine that they would have to pay some damages if, in a in a court of law, you can prove that your that this flooding was caused by uh, greenhouse gases, and that these people contributed, you know, whatever, uh, fifty or sixty percent of that those greenhouse gases. Well, then they're fifty or sixty percent responsible for that flooding, and and you could imagine some damages being awarded, and people then being able to use that money to adapt to the climate and put up dikes or or relocate or do whatever to adapt to a changing climate, right? And then the free market system would find the proper balance between protecting property rights and um, and and uh, getting energy, right? Like if the price of oil became so high because of all the torts uh, from people, well, then, you know, people are going to start moving to looking for greener energy or something like that. So so to yeah. me, that would be a way of, of uh, addressing climate changing change and, and having the free market. But you, you, you can't do that when your underlying assumption is that we need one giant central plan or maybe even just one global government that that has its hand on the thermostat of the world and that they can adjust it. Right. Um, you know, why wouldn't we, for example, do um, to pump a bunch of aerosols into the stratosphere? or whatever and just turn the thermostat of the earth down a little bit like you could do that for relatively cheap if climate if climate or global warming if we were on the verge of catastrophe um mm -hmm. but who would you want in charge of that who, who would you want controlling that thermostat and what would and there would certainly be negative unintended consequences of that as well so so it's a tricky issue um and and i'm I, i'm just always skeptical that government uh, with its corruption, with its perverse incentives, uh, can can properly do this, right? But there yeah, are some. I, there, sorry, go ahead. I think that's the important thing is that for most people, they only know the idea of government does things, right? But like your example of if you had your own property rights, and if all of, of the land in Canada or the world was privately owned then these companies would have to go through a lot more people individually to try and you know process this this resource and they'd have different priorities that have different requirements there would be you would be able to be held accountable for spills for leaks and all of this other stuff by an individual not by the government that actually doesn't do anything and then it's also 
the problems we have gotten into is because of the government working with these companies. And so to give the government more power to try, try and rein them in while they're still working with them, it's just like it, the system is so convoluted at this point, in my opinion, right? right? So it's just like trying to add more layers to try and solve it. But it's really, if you just go to first principles of, you know, you have to interact with me and I can have my values. And, and maybe there are a bunch of people in, in Alberta who wouldn't want their land developed and their oil sands extracted and some yep. would, or they, like you, have different priorities and say you same like a construction project they have to put the land back to exactly how it was before and if they don't have the ability to do that then they can't do the project right but that's not right. the requirements of government and that kind of thing um so it's just like it's a different way of looking at the entire system that Absolutely. that people don't even consider and that's you know i mean the underlying problem with a lot of this stuff yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, again, you know, just to reiterate that the libertarian uh, way to handle this is is to just um, enforce property rights, right? And and to have solid property rights. And when you have that, a lot of these environmental issues um, get better. Uh, and I think that's, that's really the only way uh, that they get better. There, there's a great uh, resource for those uh, listeners who want to check it out. It's perk.org, P-E-R-C dot org and it's uh it, it's a environmentalist think tank that that has all sorts of research and uh articles on how um how private property and the free market can solve environmental problems from how do you uh privatize waterways to to improve the quality of water and the flow of water and all, all sorts of uh, things on there but i wanted to run a couple of of thought experiments by you mm -hmm. <clears throat> that uh, sometimes <laughs> that have come to my mind when I, to try to get simplify this problem a little bit. One is uh, imagine a space station that where, where a number of people are living that um, has a, a carbon dioxide scrubber that can only scrub carbon dioxide at a certain rate. And um, you can imagine that there would be if someone was emitting more carbon dioxide, what, what, what you would do is you would figure out what's the total rate at which carbon dioxide can be, uh, can, can be scrubbed. Um, and, and that would be, and then you would divide that by the number of people on the space station. And that would be what you have a right to exhale or to, to emit as an individual. That's, yeah. that's one way of, of solving it. And so maybe, um, you know, and, and then you might be able to trade credits, right? Like if someone, one of the astronauts is an avid jogger and he wants to exercise and another one's a couch potato, well, the couch potato could say, look, you give me, you know, a certain amount of money and I'll trade you the rights to my carbon emission or something like that. So you can go jogging and exhale and, and emit more carbon dioxide or something like that. So that yeah. would be, I guess, equivalent to kind of a cap and trade. It's saying, that yeah. okay, we we know for a fact that if CO2 levels get above this point, our lives are all going to be jeopardized. And so we can't emit more than that. And so everyone has a right to, to do that divided by the number of people on the on the space station. So so one could imagine, so if science was accurate enough to tell us what the correct amount of carbon dioxide should be in the atmosphere, what what is the level above which 
it will be dangerous and it'll be catastrophic, then we might be able to do something like cap and trade. But as far as I know, no scientists, there's no scientific way to determine what that number is, what level of parts per million. So we can't use cap and trade uh, until we know what that number is. And no, no one knows what that is, as far as I, I know. So that's that's one scenario. Another one is that I think about quite a bit, again, going back to my sci-fi days of my youth, terraforming used to be something that was always in these sci-fi books I would read, right? And that, and there was ideas around how would we terraform Mars, for example? How would we create a breathable atmosphere and make and bring life to the planet uh, if, if we went there? And so in that case, let's say Elon Musk uh, colonizes Mars and starts a big terraforming project and dumps all his resources and energy into that. Um, who, who then has the right to, to adjust the climate on Mars? Is it uh, some government or is it the, would we say that Elon Musk has a property right in that atmosphere or something like that? Uh, so, so I think these raise some interesting questions and I don't know the answer to that one, but mm -hmm. I, I just wanted to give people a window into um, how I try to think about these issues and, and reason through them uh, from first principles. Um, yeah. But. I mean, for, for both of those, like the, the cap and trade example, I would say would work in terms of like, again, each individual has a right to yeah. a certain amount and, you know, and, and it's factored into everything or whatever. But then it's who tracks that, who there like you still right. need um, some the bank. That's what like that. You still need the carbon banker and, and they get extra credits just for tracking <laughs> your credits. Right. right? right. <laughs> and that kind of stuff. So in terms of, yeah, I think, you know, I would it would have to be like, you know, Elon Musk gets to Mars. It's his Mars until someone else wants to go there and then they'd have to agree. Do you have a right to a vote on the carbon uh, footprint of Mars or like it, these are, well, that's, and, these are or, complex. Or any, or uh, any aspect of, of the climate, because in, in, in a case like that, I mean, humans would have to in, in, in uh, have to invest a lot of energy and resources into terraforming it. Right. And it would probably have to be constant. So that environment would be entirely, man-made to a certain extent right mm -hmm. and so um and so it would constantly have to be adjusted and refined and and you know i i would argue the same as you that it's it's the person that has invested all that resource that should have his finger on the on the thermostat of the planet right and and so yeah if i'm going to move to mars i'm going to want to make sure i have a solid agreement a contract yeah. in place with elon musk that says listen I need to have a sustainable atmosphere for generations. And so here are all the things that you're going to have to agree to if I'm going to buy property on your planet and yeah. invest in moving there. And it's going to have, and if he doesn't abide by his, his agreement, well, there's going to be immediate access to justice, right? Yeah. Well, and like that's it, exactly what should be happening now about climate right. change, right? You hear this in the States, a bunch of cities are now, you know, taking up the mantle because Trump's so uh, dull on climate change or whatever. But it's like, if if people could actually have those agreements with cities, hold them accountable. Hey, I'm only going to move to Chicago if you show me how you're going to, uh, you know, curtail emissions or whatever, because I, I care about that and I'm not going to move to your city unless you do something about it. And then some cities would be the, you know, would have that attractive factor and would... would 
would be green cities or whatever, and some wouldn't, and it would be up to each person, but that the free market would be able to decide. And then you could also hold the people and the those corporations accountable in the, in the exact same way you would on Mars. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah. So it's not it, what happens. It, so it, it, it's a, you know, it's a very complex and tricky issue. Um, and it's difficult to, to wrap your head around how a free market might do it. And, and I certainly don't have the answers. You know, I don't know how uh, I couldn't have told people how cotton was going to get picked if we get rid of slavery uh, in abolitionist days. But I, I would have just said, look, slavery we'll figure it is out. a more, <laughs> what, what, yeah. you will have to figure it out. And I, and I believe in freedom more than I believe in coercion, uh, you know, and I believe that that the market can solve problems better than than central planners can. And so uh, I, I have to stick with that until proven otherwise. Um, and yeah. I just, you know, the, these are all hobgoblins, you know, whether it's climate catastrophe or terrorism or you name it. I believe a lot of these things are are propped up and fed into by the system. They're funded, you know, like just like we fund uh, terrorism in the Middle East, uh, you know, and that helps the military industrial complex. Well, you know, people that are funding um, scientific studies and scientific research are, are people that are peddling a narrative of catastrophe. And so they're going to put all their energy and resources into propping up that that narrative um, and, and any study that supports that narrative uh, to, to keep us all clamoring for, for government uh, to save us from disaster.